Fight Podcast, hosted by Sergio Vicente. The Fight Podcast is brought to you by Sage Eats. Sage Eats is a Chicago-based healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring company. They deliver healthy, organic, custom meals directly to your home or office. For those of you not in Chicago, Sage Eats also offers online fitness mentoring where your personal fitness mentor will send you four weeks worth of workouts that are customized to your body and your goals. Your mentor is available seven days a week to answer questions and offer support. Sign up for Sage Eats at W www.sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 20% off your first three months. Now here's your host of the FIGHT podcast, Sergio Vicente. Yo! What up, what up, what up, what up? What's going on, good people? Happy, well, shoot, by the time you guys watch this, I don't know what day it's going to be, but for you, for me here, it's Happy Wednesday. Uh, happy Wednesday morning, man. It's bright and early here in the city of Shy. And um, man, we have a really, really fly episode for you guys. We have fight news, and we are going to break down, yes, I dare say, this epic this epic fight card, UFC 235, um, that's going to dawn this weekend. Um, but we also have, it's a little lighter week in fight news, but there's still really, really important news. And there's some boxing news that I definitely going to break down before we talk to Brandon uh, Camille later on this week. Um, but before we jump into that, uh, don't you guys forget, man, the Fight Podcast is brought to you each week by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 15% off of your first three months. Remember to follow the Fight Podcast on all social media platforms at the Fight Podcast and follow me at Serge Vicente. Support the show. Check us out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Subscribe, listen, rate, share. We are currently everywhere podcasts reside. So that's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, anything else you can think of, man, we are there. So uh, go ahead and check us out. Boom. All right. All right. So, man, this week, this week hasn't been the most fire week in fight news. Like I was saying before, um, I think everyone more than anything else is just really getting ready for the big event this weekend, the big USC 235 this weekend, the return of John Jones um, after the one of the shortest turnarounds of his career. We got Tyron Woodley defending his belt against Kamaro, the Nigerian Nightmare, Usman. Um, ben Askren is making his UFC debut. So much going on this week, man. So much going on in terms of fights. Um, and then again, we have a, a couple big boxing news with Tyson Fury, arguably the most famous boxer in the land right now. Deontay Wilder and uh, all the implications of what's really happening with um, with what's been going on with uh, the new signing at uh, at ESPN with um, and top rank with uh, Tyson Fury, man. So we have a lot going on in terms of that this week. But yo, MMA wise, man, it has not been as fire. But regardless of that, man, let, let's go ahead and jump into it. One of the biggest, and I have to say, man, it's definitely one of, I'd say, the one of the most important things and news of the day is that, man, we've talked about this organization a lot, and we're finding out more and more that the UFC isn't the only player in the game anymore. And the dope thing about that is that even ESPN is acknowledging it. So check this out. Dropped last night, the Pro Fighters League, which, again, did an incredible job this year. We actually followed them all of last year with their, their tournament style fights and everything. But they have officially joined the UFC on ESPN. So this is according to MMA Junkie. The PFL and ESPN announced yesterday that they have reached a two-year agreement to air PFL events on the sports network and its streaming service, that's ESPN+. The deal will include... So, again, that, that we, we, we just, just think about this for a second, man. 
with them being with ESPN Plus now, that's just more content, more fights that we're going to be able to see. And again, it brings more eyes to that um, to that uh, um, to that service and again to the sport itself. So, again, like I was saying, the deal will include live PFL events during the regular season as well as content according to the news release so just like they've been doing with ufc um i'll say is that this is the best content that i've seen the best produced content and not only am i seeing great produced content fam the way that these shows move everything is to a t they move forward. And look, man, I have the pleasure of, like I said, I've been to a couple of the PFL events last season, and they were really, really dope events. Again, remember, man, that was all on the NBC Sports Network. So they had some incredible things. I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of people that were involved in that process, and they brought it to a great spot. Now they have an opportunity to go ahead and uh, continue pushing forward. And again, continued bringing up the status of the pfl and now if the pfl is going to be out there on espn finally we might actually have people not calling mma the ufc so we'll see what ends up happening man but in addition to espn and espn plus streaming platforms becoming the new home of the pfl in the states tsn will become the new broadcasting partner in canada so again Everywhere worldwide, the biggest um, the biggest networks are actually the ones holding it down, man. And remember, the UFC started to have a five-year broadcasting deal with the, uh, with the ESPN earlier. So PFL has a two-year deal. UFC has a five-year deal, all right? Um, the PFL's second season will start Thursday, May 9th. And the plan is for is for 10 events to air live on ESPN2, ESPN Deportes, and ESPN Plus, as well as TSN. Um, there will be six regular season events between May and August on Thursday nights, followed by three playoff events in October and one season finale on New Year's Eve. If you guys didn't have the opportunity to go ahead and check out the PFL in the past, yo, you need to. They have legitimate champions, man. Everybody from people that you've seen and heard of in the UFC, like Vinny Magalash, who was upset in the finale last year, season one, up to also you have like Kayla Harrison, who is an up and coming beast. She does. She's not in the tournament itself. She does one offs, but she is becoming a bigger and bigger star, man. So all in all, this is incredible. And this is actually what the uh, the PFL people said while they were on Ariel Hawani show yesterday when this was actually released. I do, Ariel. Thank you again for uh, for having Kayla and I on. It's uh, with great pleasure to announce that the new home of the PFL will be ESPN. So wow. we're part of the ESPN family, and we couldn't be more excited. Wow. <laughs> Kayla's very excited. Yeah. Perhaps most. Congratulations. Thank you. This Thank is gigantic. You. Tell us more. Sure. Well, we, all of our events in 2019, our regular season, our playoffs, and our championship will be live on ESPN2, ESPN Deportes, as well as ESPN+. Plus. Uh, in addition, we have shoulder programming year-round for fans, that will also distribute across ESPN's platforms. Yo, that's incredible. Um, the fact that they have this many, and think about this, we have our super dope weekends that are already filled with all the all the content, all the cards. You know, we have those weekends when we got a Bellator on Friday, a Bellator on Saturday, UFC on, you know, on, on Saturday. And now we're going to be able to push that out even to Thursday. Quality events all week long, man. MMA is going to be everywhere. I couldn't be more excited, man. So that is huge news, right? Um, the other big news of the week, and I'm going to go ahead and not jump over to the UFC just yet because we do have stuff for the UFC, but I want to talk about one. One is finally making their media run. They're starting to really get those big names. Demetrius Johnson has an opponent. Eddie Alvarez is ready to go. Sage Northcutt is ready to go. 
And I'm going to talk about Sage in a second also. Because I don't know who he pissed off, but uh, who they gave him, mm, not so nice. But um, something that I found to be extremely interesting. Um, in terms of these interim titles, there have been so many interim titles going on in the UFC. If you go ahead and look at it, look at what we have going on with Kelvin Gastelum and um, Israel Asanya. Interim title. Even though Robert Whittaker isn't very happy with it, my man's has only fought twice in two years. 100% they needed an interim title there. But in terms of, for instance, uh, Max Holloway and, um, and Dustin Poirier, you have people who have already fought for the UFC actually speaking out against what they got going on. So check this out. This is something that Eddie Alvarez, former 155-pound champion, lightweight champ for the UFC, said he is also the former champion at Bellator and at Dream. If he goes ahead and gets a championship also with one at 155 pounds, his legacy is 100% set. And look, man, a lot of people look at Eddie Alvarez and they think about when they actually, the last time the majority of the world saw him, right? Is when he took that second round L to Conor McGregor. People look at that and say, oh, he's washed. He's not this. He's not that. Look, man, that's not the case at all. You put some respect on the Underground King's name. But this is something that he said that I really found interesting. We're going to break it down in a second. And this is talking about interim titles. And, and this, is, this is a serious problem. And I'm laughing, but it's nothing to joke about. Um, and we're all, part of, we're all part of the problem. All of us are. When an interim title is given, and the media makes a big fuss of it, and a fighter makes a big fuss of it, and a fan makes a big fuss of it. And an interim title has value. That's the saddest thing that can happen in this world. Because an interim title is given in replacement for money. We don't want to give you money, but we'll give you an interim title. We don't want to give you money, but we'll give you a main event spot. We don't want to give you money, but we'll give you that opponent you want. We'll give you everything but what you deserve, and that's money. That's sad, sad. And then when that's valued, when the interim title is valued by fans, by media, by the promotion and everyone, it's a sick joke. Look, and, and this, is, this is a serious problem. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I really find that to be interesting. And this is a bigger conversation where people can talk about unions and different things like that. And fighters actually getting what they're worth. We forget there is no union in MMA. The reason that, for instance, like a collective bargaining agreement and things like that and NBA and, you know, NBA and MLB players don't get abused to the same extent. NFL is a totally different monster and this is not the right show to talk about that. But I think Eddie Alvarez has a point. They throw these interim titles, and yes, you do get a slight pay bump. But what else are these athletes getting? Nothing is guaranteed. And if Eddie Alvarez is saying this, somebody who is a former champion, a former champ, is saying this, then who else is thinking it? And here's the funny thing about it. Not only did he say this and believe that, so did Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley's another one who recently said that they're a joke. He was like, why even do it? It's a complete, utter waste of time. It's a complete joke. And if they're not, so they're giving people a title that doesn't really matter. Look at Tony Ferguson. It was just, he, he was stripped for something that didn't happen to him, look at Colby Covington. These are individuals that actually felt like they had something that gave them a set of power, right? And if you do have the belt, you do have power. But we, the UFC in particular has proven over and over and over again that the interim belt means absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Think about it. They can take it from you if you want. And then if they take that belt from you, you do not have 
the leverage and the power that you deserve to say, I deserve X amount of dollars. Because they can literally look at you and say, well, dude, you're not really a champion. So who cares what you think? This is the huge problem in MMA. And I think the only way that this actually gets fixed is if a union ends up coming to fruition. Some kind of sanctioning body led by fighters or people who have been involved in a sport that do not want to see these fighters get taken advantage of. They don't want to see these fighters, again, putting themselves, putting their lives essentially on the line and not getting anything for it. It's ugly. It's super ugly to see, man. Um, and at the end of the day, again, I don't know. And I don't, I don't think it changes, unfortunately. So unless you get more individuals like this standing up and talking about it. So I found it to be interesting. So I wanted to bring that to you guys. All right. We're talking about Super Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt's excited. He gets to throw knees on the ground. And as we remember, Super Sage was the golden boy of the UFC. He was the first guy on Dana White Contender Series who actually got uh, a big deal. And uh, the UFC was pushing him and they wanted him to win. But unfortunately, his skill set didn't come to fruition, at least yet, the way they expected or wanted it to. And his stardom didn't really grow. So now he left, he's over with one championship. And for his first fight, one championship went ahead and gave him, who else? Cosmo Alexandre. Oh my God. So for those of us who don't know, Cosmo used to train over there and he actually still does train in Florida, but he was a part of the Black Zillions. He is one of the best kickboxers in the world. Um, Nasty, super strong and super powerful. Now. What has Sage Northcutt struggled with in the past? He struggled with the guys who are bigger. Well, Cosmo's a guy who fights at 100 and up to 185 pounds, but he walks around huge. He's diesel. So Sage always struggles with guys who are bigger. And this is somebody who was legitimately better striker than Sage Northcutt is. Um, I don't think they put him in a good situation, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And uh, I think you guys, if you don't know who he is already, do me a favor. Go ahead and check out Cosmo Alexandre. He plays with, fights with one championship. Do, and don't discount what Nikki Holskin did to him. I know if you look at his last fight and you see how Nikki Holskin put some thumpers on him, it's one thing. But I'm going to be honest with you. Don't uh, look at the rest of his fights. Look at the, the totality of his actual record. This is somebody who has over 80 career fights and uh, only a handful of losses. I don't even think he has 10 losses on his record yet. And this dude has over 80 career fights. So keep that in mind. Dude is a complete animal. All right. Um, as we all know, George St. Pierre went ahead and retired uh, recently. Last week he retired. So a lot of people have been asking, for instance, contender Tyron Woodley, who was asking for a fight against George for a very long time. That fight never came to fruition, and it seems like something that was never in George's. He never called him out. He never said he wanted that fight. Tyron Woodley, the champion at 170 pounds, the current king at welterweight. He had something to say about it, and again, this is something that just I found to be interesting, and I wanted to see here what you guys got to think eventually, obviously. Ben is more like the person that's going to be laughing and joking and, like, you know, trying random moves. Like, he'll be in the locker room like, I bet you I can. Fam, pulled up the wrong video. Definitely got him over here talking about Ben Askren. Don't care about that right now. This is what I'm talking about. I've never seen a boo. Fam. He needed to do in the sport. He didn't have to prove it. Of course, I want him to fight me because that's for me. That's for my legacy. For his legacy, he didn't need to fight Tyron Woodley. He already fought the Johnny Hendricks, the Koshcheks, the Hardys, the, the Dan, uh, Matt Hughes, the, the John Fitches. He already did that. And to come back in a division, which she might argue with me, the toughest division <laughs> in the world. He wants to come back and tap in on that pay-per-view model he helped build. And I can't knock him for that. You know, coming back and fighting Bisming was smart. You know, Bisming didn't, wasn't known for having powerful hands, wasn't known for being a wrestler or a grappler. So what better fight? Khabib is not very well known for being a, a crazy uh, dynamic striker. He's a guy that's going to wrestle you, wrestle you, take you down. 
that probably doesn't put fear into Joseph here. But to get knocked around and get concussed and get hit and maybe not be able to get that shot when you're going to um, go, go for it, um, maybe I'm not the fight he wanted. Maybe it doesn't draw the pay-per-view that the be coming off of a kind of McGregor fight would. I think George is done. Look, man, the fact that Tyron Woodley went out there and actually was that open about that, and, and that was real. And I think it really breaks down, for instance, what um, what George St. Pierre, why would he want to go in there to a division that he's already dominated? He wants new challenges and new, and new chapters, right? And also, out of everyone that he can compete against, Tyron Woodley possibly was one of the worst possible matchups for him. Somebody with incredible grappling, a strong wrestler with huge power. Think about how that worked out for him when he went out there and fought against Johnny Hendricks in Johnny's prime. Yes, he won that fight. But again, George wasn't as successful as he I know he wanted to be. Um, I think Tyron Woodley is one of the greatest champions that the UFC and MMA has ever had. He's intelligent. And um, and again, we'll see more of him this weekend. All right. Uh, moving right along. Check it out. Boxing-wise, and I'll talk about this a little bit later on this week, but in terms of boxing, we have the deal, and we talked about it last time around, Tyson Fury signed with ESPN+. Plus. Officially, it came out last night, and this was Tuesday night, probably around mm, 8 o'clock or so, this case, this news uh, dropped. And pretty much what uh, that he said is that, unfortunately... And this is, unfortunately, it does not appear that Tyson Fury is going to go out there and actually compete against Deontay Wilder, his next fight. They said it's probably not going to happen. He's going to fight somebody under the top rank banner. And maybe this opens up a possibility for Deontay Wilder to fight Dominic Brazil. Yo, this is a complete travesty. And this is my issue and my problem with boxing. The fights that we deserve, the fights that we want to see happen, aren't happening. Because you have political nonsense going on. This promoter doesn't like this promoter. This guy doesn't, isn't getting paid enough over here. And if you actually look at what's going on, they're not allowing the best matchups to happen. And when those matchups actually do happen, it's way past his selling point. Think about when Manny Pacquiao finally fought Floyd Mayweather. That happened at least five years past his prime. Both of those fighters were out of their prime and nobody. And then what did we see? We saw a shitty matchup. It was a garbage fight. So the fact that we have the two best heavyweights in the world willing to fight each other, they were on the verge of fighting each other. And then the moment that he signs with top rank, you have Bob Aaron pretty much saying, nope, I don't want to work with Deontay and his team. I don't like those guys over there. You're going to fight somebody over here. More than anything else, man, that helps makes me question Tyson Fury. Tyson, what are you doing? Did you need the cash? Is that why you're going over there? Because it didn't seem like he always talks about he's chasing legacy. This move to me doesn't make it seem like he's chasing anything except for cash. And if that's the case, he shouldn't have donated his entire last paycheck. That was like $9 million. He shouldn't have donated it. What are you doing? This is what's making boxing bad. This is why all the politics involved in boxing is why people get so frustrated left and right. Think about this. Because of the promotional mishaps, yes, we do have Mikey Garcia going against Errol Spence Jr. That's fantastic. We're happy to see it. But let's be honest. Is that the fight that we really wanted to see? No. The fight that we want to see is Mikey Garcia against Vasily Lomachenko, and we want to see Terrence Crawford against Errol Spence Jr. But the problem with it is, again, promotional, and these promoters don't want to play nice. When will we actually see these matchups so we can see the best fight the best? Boxing needs to change its model. 
I don't know if they have to have under one big sanctioning body like the UFC does and or they could start trading people back and forth like the UFC and one do. But until this changes. Boxing is going to continue to lose favor with combat sports fans and MMA. And I'm telling you, look what MMA is doing. ESPN now has a UFC. ESPN now has PFL. TNT has one championship. The Zone has Bellator. The Paramount Network has Bellator. We have all of these organizations, these big TV networks showing MMA. And not only is it showing MMA, we're having the best fighters fight the best. Again, Bellator, welterweight Grand Prix tournament. One of, if not the best put together tournaments that we have ever seen. In the UFC, the best fight the best. It doesn't matter. And if you're not going to fight, you're gone. They get rid of you. Until this happens with boxing, people are always going to turn their noses up to boxing. And boxing isn't going to get the respect that it deserves. It's disappointing, man. It's super disappointing. Um, and again, I will break that down a little bit more later on this week when we had a man, the myth, the legend. Your boy Brandon Camille is going to come on there and we'll discuss it a little bit more because um, I know he is. <laughs> my man's was hitting me up all weekend, tearing his hair out, man. Super pissy about what was going on. And honestly, man, I was right there with him. All right, uh, before we go ahead and get into these incredible fight breakdowns for these huge fight cards this weekend, remember, the Fight Podcast is brought to you each and every week by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 15% off of your first three months. Remember to follow the Fight Podcast on all social media platforms at the Fight Podcast and follow your boy at Serge Vicente. Support the show. Check us out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Subscribe, listen, rate, share. The Fight Podcast is on all podcasting platforms all around. Uh, remember, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more, man. So go ahead and check us out, man. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Um, this weekend, and the big event that I want to break down, and this is the one I'm going to spend some time on today, but um, UFC 235 is here this weekend. So let me go ahead. I'm going to pull up all the, all the fights and everything, but the fight themselves is headlined by John Jones. Johnny Bones Jones against the Rocky Story. The Lionheart, the, the veteran, the grizzled vet. We got Anthony Smith. All right. Excuse me. So, a couple things I want to break down about this fight. And again, this entire fight card is super stacked, right? We have John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Tyron Woodley, who we just talked about against, again, the Nigerian nightmare, the monster, Kamaru Usman. Oh, and if you guys haven't had an opportunity, um, we had Mo Usman was on the show. That's uh, Kamaru's brother. He was already on the Fight Podcast. Dude is incredible. Check out. We had a great uh, conversation there. Also, it's the the uh, UFC debut of Ben Askren against the former welterweight champion, Robbie Lawler. Tisha Torres is on this card. Colby Garbrandt and Pedro Munez are going to go ahead and round out the, uh, the, the pay-per-view. The prelims are also incredible. You got Jeremy Stevens against Zabit Margomasherpov. Um, Johnny Walker is fighting against Misha Kirshenov, which is an incredible fight. Um, dude, in, in leading off the, the prelims, we got Diego Sanchez against Mickey Gall. Incredible fight card all the way through. We're going to break down as many of these as we possibly can. Um, but I want to go ahead and jump into, uh, off the jump, obviously, we're going to go ahead and jump into John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Now, the odds on this fight, fam, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anthony Smith is a minus 800, or should I say, John Jones is a minus 800 favorite. So pretty much Vegas is saying, ain't no way in hell Anthony Smith is going to win this fight. Uh, both men are supposed to be about 6'4". Honestly, I think John Jones is closer to 6'6". Anthony Smith is about 6'5". Uh, listen, look at his reach. 84 and a half inch reach. Anthony Smith has a 76 inch reach. Um, leg is leg reach is about the same. Um, 
Here's the biggest difference. John Jones, 40% of his wins are by KO. 26 wins are by submission. Again, he's one of the best submission artists in the light heavyweight division. On the other hand, Anthony Smith, 60% of his wins are by knockout. 35% of his wins are by submission. So, the majority of Anthony Smith's, if, his, if he wins, he finishes you. John Jones does have an opportunity, even though, he, in my opinion, he's one of the best finishers in the game. He's also somebody who, again, will fight for all 15 minutes, right? All right. I'm going to start with Anthony Smith. And the reason I have to start with Anthony Smith is because, look, man, we know John Jones. We know what John Jones brings to the table. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Arguably the greatest pound-for-pound mixed martial artist of all time. Am I a fan of him as a person and outside of the cage? Hell no. Dude comes off as a scumbag. I've only met him personally once. He was very nice to me. But this is also... When he before he got the belt, this is before all the PED allegations and and hitting pregnant women in cars and breaking their arms and running back and grabbing your money and all the other nonsense that we know John Jones has actually done. I could only go off of what I've seen and what has been reported. So it seems like he's a scumbag outside of it, but I don't care what anybody says. If you look at John Jones. And this is something that I had to catch myself um, when I was in, uh, an MMA fan back in the day. I used to get really emotionally invested in a lot of these athletes, right? I used to sit back and, and pick against guys because I didn't like them personally. Or I liked somebody else personally more than I liked the other dude. And at the end of the day, as a legitimate combat sports fan, I have to be a fan of what's going on in the cage. Prime example, Floyd Mayweather is a schmuck. 100% dude is a square. Dare I say, with all of his coonish tendencies and everything else he does, dude is a lame. Not a fan. But can I take away anything that he does inside that squared circle? No, he's one of the greatest defensive fighters I've ever seen. He is one of the greatest fighters I've ever seen. If you have not ever watched his fight against Diego Corrales, when they were both coming up and undefeated, to see what he did to such a great fighter will blow your mind. You need to go back and see that. So I'm not taking away anything that John has done within the, within the confines of, uh, of, uh, of the fight. He's incredible. We all know what he brings to the table. He has some of the highest fight IQ ever. He mixes it up extremely well. He does something similar to George St. Pierre does. He takes what you're good at and he uses that against you. A la Daniel Cormier, the first time they fought, he out-wrestled him. You know what I'm saying? He was able to out-grapple and out-strike Leota Machida. He mixes up his strike. He was able to against Alexander Gustafson in his last fight. He did an incredible job knowing that Alexander Gustafson does all of his best work in boxing range. So he made a point to make sure to stay long and stay at kickboxing range. And, and Alexander Gustafson was never really able to get off. So his fight IQ and the way that he is able to adapt throughout a fight is incredible. So we all know this. And again, do I think John is going to win? Yes. But what I'm saying is don't sleep on Anthony Smith. And this is why I believe Anthony Smith could. And this is how he can possibly win the fight. John Jones does an incredible job of actually throwing a lot of kicks. How can you stop that from happening? Anthony Smith needs to be able to check as many leg kicks as he can. Being long and he's somebody who comes forward and he utilizes mobility. If he's able to check and deter John Jones from throwing some great kicks and utilizing his leg strikes... That's going to benefit him. He's also going to have to do a great job of um, a couple different things. Attacking off of kicks. The only time that I've ever seen John Jones really get clipped clean, aside from when he fights Daniel Cormier, because Daniel Cormier rips him each time, is when he fought against Leonardo Machida. How did Leonardo Machida do that? When John went to go throw a kick, 
He checked and exploded into a straight right hand. He did it a number of times and John got hit really hard when that happened. Anthony Smith has the capability and the abilities to do that as well. He does a great job of lunging in and catching his opponents. He did that a lot to Shogun Hua when they actually competed. Shogun tried to throw inside leg kick. Anthony Smith responded with hands. If he's able to do that, he'll be able to strike and actually deter and break up the, the, the pace that John Jones has. How also did he do that? The way he does it, because everyone fights on beat, right? The one, if you see people throw a combination, throw the one and the two. So you get that rhythm, pop, 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 pop. Anthony Smith does an incredible job of hitting you on the offbeat. So instead of that pop, pop, he goes pop, pop. So he'll catch you right in the middle when you're in the middle of your combination. He's incredible at that. Um, another thing that he does really well is he, he utilizes the blitz really well. My boxing people, people see guys in MMA blitzing forward. They're like, oh, that doesn't work in boxing. Yeah, no shit. It doesn't work in boxing, but it absolutely works when we're talking about MMA. You have to worry about the takedowns. You have to worry about kicks. You have to worry about knees and elbows. So, and here's the thing, and this is why Anthony Smith's blitzes, when he's attacking forward on a straight line, work very well. Yes, he's coming forward on a straight line, but something that he does extremely well is that he's able to throw a straight, so he'll throw that straight jab down the middle. And instead of coming in that same momentum that we're accustomed to seeing, we're accustomed to seeing one straight right hand or one straight left, one straight right. What he'll do is he'll throw that straight down the middle so to pretty much come right down your guard. And then as you close your guard to prepare to get hit again, he loops a whipping right hand around and hits you essentially behind your ear. Okay, that's how he, again, he gets a lot of his knockouts that way. And another thing that he does is this, and something that I love the way, and again, this is something else, he needs to go ahead and make sure he puts combinations together. With his blitzes, if he comes through, he's able to throw his right, the, the jab right down the middle. He throws the, the looping shot on the outside. He does an incredible job, and I actually, I haven't seen a lot of people do this. You see Lomachenko doing this a lot in boxing where he throws a left hook, where really all it is done is to slap you or to turn you, to distract you. So he'll throw at the end of the combination. And honestly, Anthony Smith does an incredible job. Any fight that he has, he pretty much does this every fight and every combination. He always finishes with a left hand. So one, two, three. And instead of just really digging in and driving with the left hook, what he'll do is he slaps it. He sees where you are, your hands come up again to get ready for another straight punch. And then what does he do? He'll throw a kick right down the middle, whether it be a teep to the body or he'll throw a teep to your face. Really, really interesting, man. He, if he's able to utilize that against John Jones, it'll be really, really interesting. Now, Anthony Smith does not have great takedown accuracy. He's actually something like 0.2%, like point like 20% takedown accuracy. It's not what it's not his strong suit. That's not his game. That's not where he stays. But something that he does do incredibly well is he's great in the clinch. John Jones is as well, but Anthony Smith is exceptional. He's strong, he's physical. And one thing that he does a lot of times is he pushes his opponents against the cage really well. He'll push you against the cage, and then what he'll end up doing is, again, he utilizes a huge, and he's, he did this to Rashad Evans. He's done this to Volkan Ozdemir. He beat the hell out of Volkan with this. Huge right elbow. He does it every fight. He throws it in his combinations. And again, Anthony Smith is one of those guys with the high pace. Um, If he's able to use the clinch, land his dirty boxing, throw his knees and his elbows, he can be successful there as well. And again, I know I'm talking about John Jones. It's easier said than done, but I want to bring that out to see, again, these are different spaces where he can win, right? All right, he's great on the ground in terms of his defense. He, he uses butterfly guard really well. He doesn't allow you to really pass. And if he does, he's great at scrambling. So if he does get down, 
he needs to make sure he plays an active guard and get right back to his feet. Um, and then here's the thing. One thing that I pre- one thing John Jones does well. And I'm gonna double back to John real quick. So John does this extremely well. He forces you to, to fight at his pace. He's somebody that when you guys, when he's in there, he'll lull you to sleep. It almost feels like you're sparring. Real slow, real chill, and then he'll he'll explode into you, a la Yoel Romero Romero or something like that. He'll have you playing the game. Anthony Smith does the same thing. Now, here's something that I really found interesting when I was looking up this fight is that Anthony Smith lands per minute close to four strikes per minute, which is really, really high, especially at light heavyweight. But he absorbs almost four and a half shots per minute. Serge, that's not good. Well, it's not bad. And the reason it's not bad, and this is why I think Anthony Smith could actually get this done. And here's the thing. I'm going to call it out. If you want to make money this weekend, put money on Anthony Smith. First of all, as you see, he's a minus 800 or whatever, or plus whatever uh, um, underdog. You put him in there, he has a legitimate opportunity to continue growing and doing this thing. You know what I mean? All right. With Anthony Smith, where was I going? Oh, he absorbs all this, this, these fights. But the thing is, he's a dog. And what he'll do is he'll take shots to land a couple. He has an incredible chin, and he doesn't mind mixing it up. If he makes the fight ugly, he can really throw John Jones off of his game. So, going right back through it. He needs to land leg kicks and, and respond off of them. He needs to throw combinations. Um, he needs to make sure he does not play in open space. If he plays in open space, that's John Jones's world. He needs to make, his, make a point to getting to the clinch. If he gets to the clinch, that's where he tends to do his best work. He needs to make the fight ugly. If he does all these things, Anthony Smith could legitimately win this fight. Again, I do have John Jones winning probably by third round submission, but I'm really, I don't want to say I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I definitely believe Anthony Smith can win this fight. All right. Uh, Move to the next one, man. We're going to go ahead and rock with the the welterweights, Tyron Woodley and Kamara Usman. This fight, I, I again, I think is really, really interesting. You got uh, Tyron Woodley, who's 19 and three against Kamara Usman is 14 and one. Kamaro's a bigger dude. Tyron was only 5'10. Kamaro's six feet. Um, pretty much the same in reach. Uh, Tyron Woodley actually has longer legs. Um, so going through the numbers, if you look at it, people could actually look at this and say these guys are really similar. And I have to say, no, they're not really that similar. I mean, yeah, they're two big black guys who, who are bodied up and can wrestle. That's about it. I believe Tyron Woodley wins this fight. I think it's going to be a tough fight, but I think Tyron Woodley wins, and I actually believe Tyron Woodley probably finishes Kamara Usman. The reason I think that is this. I think Tyron Woodley is better at everything that Kamara Usman does, right? Everything Kamara Usman does well, I think Tyron Woodley does a better job at. One thing that if you look at Tyron Woodley, he he does the majority of his work he pulls you in. He does an incredible job of pulling his opponents in, lulling you to sleep, walking back towards the cage, walking back towards the cage, walking back. And then when you are able to, you actually lunge into him finally, he counters that shot, explodes forward, knock your face off like he did Darren Till. And one thing again, when he has you on top, you're in trouble. He did that to Darren Till. He did that to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson twice. We also talk about fight IQ. Tyron Woodley has an incredibly high fight IQ. Think about the team of Yodas that he has around him. Din Thomas, who was also, again, check out our interview that we had here on the Fight Podcast. We have Din Thomas. He has Duke Rufus. Trains with Floyd Mayweather's boys over there. Dude is an incredible monster. And he has a wealth of MMA knowledge surrounding him. Not saying that Kamar Usman doesn't, but 
you know, he um, Tyron Woodley has, I think, better. Now, Kamar Usman, what does Kamar do well? He throws so many strikes. One thing that he does is that, again, he throws so many strikes. He throws, again, over per minute, he throws close to four strikes per minute, significant strikes at that per minute. Constantly coming forward. He does an incredible job of trying to mix up his, his, his hands and his striking with his takedowns. Really well-rounded. He has a tendency to lay on, excuse me, the tendency to lay on his opponents. And he's had a couple fights that people say are boring. A lot of people say it against wrestlers, um, especially people that if you look at them when they look like a superhero, you feel like they should be able to knock people's faces off. He has a couple big KOs. And he has, he has the ability, in my opinion, to eventually be that guy. I just don't think it's going to be this week. I, I see Tyron Woodley going out there, nullifying Kamar Usman's game, utilizing his strengths against him, and I see Tyron Woodley winning this fight, um, honestly, probably via a third-round knockout. All right. Uh, the next fight, we got the, 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 the start of Ben Askren. Ben Askren is a former one, uh, one and Bellator champion at welterweight. And he's going against former UFC welterweight champion Robbie Lawler. Honestly, I can't lie, guys. I think this is a pretty easy one. I think Ben Askren goes ahead and, and wins this fight. Decision. I think he's going to be able to take Robbie down at will. And I think he's going to be able to not get hit. One thing I'll say about it, if you think about it, Tyron Woodley's already, who is Ben Askren's teammate, teammate since college at that. They know what Robbie's good at. They're going to show him exactly what to do. I don't think he's going to get hit that often. I think he's going to go ahead and pretty much <laughs> just, just wrestle Robbie to death um, and either finish him um, with a submission or get a uh, decision. So I got Ben Askren with that one. All right. Uh, next one I want to talk about. This is going to be a good one, man. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Um, this is opening up the pay-per-view. The number two ranked uh, Cody versus number eight ranked Munoz. Let's see. Obviously, the majority of uh, Cody's wins are by knockout. His only two losses are against uh, TJ Dillashaw. Pedro Munoz has a far more well-rounded game. 25% by KO, 50% by submission, 25% by, uh, by decision. Dude goes out there and finishes opponents also. Really well-rounded. He lands over five significant strikes per minute. If he can stop Cody Garbrandt from blasting him, I think he has a great opportunity to win this fight. Again, great team, really well-rounded. I'm curious to see, and again, I know Cody Garbrandt is somebody whom is incredible at his takedown D. He's really, really good at his takedown D, but look at this. Um, average per 15 minutes, each of them land about a takedown per 15 minutes, so not spectacular, um, but listen to this, man. Cody Garbrandt, 100% takedown defense. Oof. All right. Uh, looking at this fight, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to say Pedro Munoz is going to be the next guy up. But at this point in time, Cody Garbrandt has not shown me anything that will tell me that he's actually going to take an L this time around, right? So we're going to go ahead and rock with uh, Cody Garbrandt, uh, probably getting the second round uh, knockout. All right. The last couple I want to talk about today is, uh, yeah, because we're going to get out of here today. We got way more content coming for you guys uh, this week. But uh, we have the number six ranked um, featherweight in the world, Jeremy Stevens, fighting Zabit uh, Magomov Sharipov. All right. This is the biggest test of Zabit's career. Jeremy Stevens, complete animal. Crazy knockout power. Really, really durable guy. 70% of his wins are by knockout. He's a beast. Um, has become far more patient the older he's gotten. He's become a better martial artist. With all that being said, I got Zabit winning this one. Um, as long as Zabit can withstand the power, I think he's better on the ground. And I think he's more creative on the feet. I see him catching Jeremy Stevens, um, whether it be with a uh, with something tricky or spinny, or at the end of the day, 
um, he can end up getting a <laughs> something tricky or spinny. Uh, or we can again, um, or he'll end up getting a decision. But I have Zabit winning this one and moving on. I hate to say it, man. Jeremy Stevens is starting to seem like he might end up being that that uh that guy man the middle of the road type of dude you get past him you can get to a title shot and um think about it he lost his last fight to jose aldo jose aldo's right back in the mix if Zabit wins this beat's gonna be ranked in the top five and i see him and eventually getting that title shot possibly by the end of 2019 especially if max holloway stays at a buck 55 um sorry jeremy i got Zabit. And I like Jeremy, man. Jeremy's a cool dude. I, I was able to hang out with him before. Super cool dude, man. All right. Um, last one we'll talk about is Johnny Walker versus uh, Misha Cherkinov. Great fight. This is uh, what this did we we announced this what ten days ago. This actually was able to go in there. Um, Misha Cherkinov from Latvia is a bad dude, man. Great grappling, great stand up. Um. 50% of his wins are by stand, by submission. Johnny Walker is a star in the making, and I got to rock with the stars in the making, man. I'm going with Johnny Walker by KO, uh, second round. And uh, Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. I got Mickey Gall all day. I think Mickey Gall, and this is at welterweight also. Diego Sanchez, the OG of OGs, um, <laughs> tough number one. He was uh, an alumni of... He, he gets touched up. Mickey Gall is continue to improve. He's over there. Tri-star um, with all those boys up there. Um, I see Mickey Gall winning this fight relatively easily, probably uh, via submission. All right. Yo. I'm telling you, man, this weekend is going to be fire. It's going to be such a great weekend and um, a lot of great fights. I will be back. Uh, later on this week, again, we'll have Brandon Camille back on the show. We also have a couple of dope interviews coming to you guys. Uh, but yo, again, this is the fight podcast. I am your host, Serge Vicente. Thank you guys so much for joining me today in fight news. And this is episode 87 of the fight podcast. Yeah, it is 87, man. We're moving right along. Um, remember the fight podcast is brought to you by Sage Eats. Sage Eats offers healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring. Sign up for Sage Eats at sageeatschicago.com. Apply promo code FIGHT for 15% off of your first three months. Remember, follow the Fight Podcast on all social media platforms at the Fight Podcast and follow me at Serge Vicente. Support the show. Check me out on the website, thefightpodcast.com. Subscribe, listen, rate and share thank you all so much for listening we will be back very very soon with more right here on the fight podcast but uh until then i'll let you guys next time peace out